It's the Hot Country Podcast. Interviews with singers and songwriters from yesterday and today. Visit hotcountrypodcast.com for information on sponsors that make this show possible. Here's your host on the Hot Country Podcast, Chris McKay. And welcome to another edition of the Hot Country Podcast. My guest for this podcast holds many titles. Billboard, CMA, ACM, and Grammy Award winner. A singer-songwriter with over 25 charted singles. Star of television, movies, and the Broadway stage. And is one of my all-time favorites. It's Mr. Gary Morris. He's coming up next on this edition of the Hot Country Podcast. And once again, very excited to get up to the podcast microphone and invite those that made some big changes in the country world on the Hot Country Podcast. I say, hey, Gary Morris, how are you? Well, I am just great. I'm great. I'm sitting here at my place, a little place called Cromo, Colorado, 31 miles from the town. And it uh, was a glorious red sunrise this morning. And I'm glad to be talking with you, Chris. I tell you, this is one of my biggest thrills. I, I tell you, there was a time in, in 80s country. I, I started in the outlaw years in the 70s, made my way through pop country of the 80s and, and of course, hot country of the 90s. It's such an honor to speak to you. And, and for those that the name sounds familiar... What makes Gary Morris sound so familiar? Uh, Over 25 singles on the charts. Uh, He was one of the early, (laughs) I'm going to say early adapters to the song Wind Beneath My Wings, which of course, from his early version, and Gary, if you don't mind, if if I could say something real sweet about that recording you did, I figure there are songs in the world that other people shouldn't record (laughs) <laughs> if, if if their heart isn't in it, and I have to tell you, between you and Bette Midler, you sung that song from the heart. It's like listening to Roberta Flack do, you know, Killing Me Softly. There, you, nobody else should do that, because they actually sing the pain of the song, and in your case, uh, sing the praise. So that was a great, great hit. Did it hit number one is the question. Well, no, it didn't. It went to number three. It's interesting how that all evolved, too. My philosophy about being a singer, it's not about making a record, but being a singer is always that you get out of the way of the song. You let the song be what it is. That's why, I mean, you'll you'll appreciate this, especially after I tur- after I recorded "Wind Beneath My Wings" and we, you know, we sent the recording to L.A. for do they do parts before they make the record? Blah 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 blah. And I got a call, an emergency call. Uh, I was on a softball field for, with Warner Brothers playing in a little tournament, and it was the head of marketing or or promotion in L.A. for Warner Brothers, and he said, "We have a problem with this record." And I went, well, what's, what's wrong? He said, well, there's nothing on it. We, we must have lost some stuff. <laughs> I went, what do you mean? It was just your voice, a couple of guitars, and then a couple of voices. Where's the rest of the record? And I said, that's it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Carl said to me, he said, 
are you trying to kill your career? Oh. And I had a lot of that kind of stuff, Chris, you know, during towards after, you know, headed for heartache and velvet chains and, and don't look back at those songs. We're all up tempo, tempo shuffles that they're for people to dance to. Right. That's really my cup of tea. But soon I even had radio, you know, uh, jocks across the country said, say, you got a new record. Are you making this one for you? Are you making it for us? And I'm going, wow, I, I don't know how to answer that. When Beneath My Wings, I, I'm glad, and I don't, I don't mean this in any kind of disparaging way, but I'm glad that I don't have to sing Achy Breaky Heart every <laughs> night. I get to sing a great song. Again, you sang that song from the heart, and I think that maybe uh, during that pop country era, uh, the, the decade that we had, I think people enjoyed hearing that ballad and giving it the chart success that it had. But again, it's what really introduced me to you. Uh, I tell everybody, I said, hey, listen, I, I one of my biggest thrills, I get to interview Gary Morris. And I said, there was a time in the 1980s, you couldn't turn on a country radio station without a Gary Morris song playing. It was, it was just all part of who you were. And what radio still is, I mean, it's a, a whole different animal now, which would, <laughs> leads me to believe, yeah. why did I create the radio station I have? Because nobody was doing what I was doing then, and they're certainly not doing it now. And Would you be classified, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it a balladeer where you started going into that direction? Or yeah. what is it, a songsmith? What's the right terminology for Gary Morris? Well, first of all, I'm a singer-songwriter, and the bulk of material on all of my albums is songs that I've written. Mm -hmm. But I've never turned down a great song. And I, you know, I listen to, over through the years, thousands of songs. And uh, I would never turn down one that I thought, man, I can sing that and mean it, and, and it's a great song. But I've always considered myself a balladeer, if you will. Right. That as I tour now, I tour almost exclusively just a solo with three different guitars, different tunings, and I can do basically any of any of my records. But the real jewels and why I, and why I still go out there is I get requests every night, Chris, for songs like bed of roses or heaven's hell without you or plain brown rapper right leave me lonely songs that really weren't the uh, up tempo let's go dance and you're in san diego and it's different in san diego than sure. it is texas and texas you can say the pledge of allegiance and someone will get up and dance i mean right <laughs> just a different mentality so I didn't grow up. I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. We right. didn't have any alcohol. I didn't go out to dance halls. I went off to college and, and you know, played football and started singing with a little trio. But I always sang in church. That's where right. I learned things. Well, I, you were talking about your ballads that people love to hear, and I didn't hear you mention my favorite, the, the Love She Found in Me, which is probably my all-time favorite ballad that when you can listen to that and then listen to the words it is what i do live now with that song is so different than the record because the record uh i was 
a co-producer on it. In fact, I produced the string section. They had an orchestra that played, you know, and it's a big power ballad. Right. Do it now live. I do a different kind of tuning and it's a real in your face kind of sensitive love song that I mean, doesn't have the emotion or the, the the orchestration. I do actually a really interesting tuning with a, and it becomes a full orchestra and it's not oversung. It's not a big power ballad. Right. It's a, it's something that brings, I think the audience to me rather than me going to them. And that's, that's the nature of even what I was told when I was in New York doing a show. Amazing to hear. Like I said, when you, when you actually as a wordsmith and you listen, I, I have to tell you, I thought I knew everything about Gary Morris just by living the, the country world and I, uh, bits and pieces. I did sneak over to your website, which by the way, I encourage everybody to do. You'll find he's got a blog. He's a podcaster like myself. He's, he's very active. But one of the things I saw Gary was you had, uh, I, I believe it was a video on the very front page about songwriting and your, if you wouldn't mind summarizing the, your but, advice but on songwriting was amazing. I can't, you know, I can't be the creative mind for anybody that wants to be a songwriter, but I, I actively tell people when they ask me questions about songwriting, I say, to begin with, write about something you know. I mean, you'd be surprised at the things that you know. You know about pain, whether it was you got your hand caught in a door. You know about uh, love, whether that love is with your, you know, your cat, your dog, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. The things that things that you really know. And another thing, I also tell people. I mean, we could spend a day talking about songwriting, but another thing, write about what you know, keep it short and keep it simple. And it's like the most, the shortest distance between two spots is a straight line. Right. Don't worry about rhyme. Yeah. I get so many songs pitched that, you know, they have a rhyme at the end of every line and, and, and and rhymes are important in poetry and there be, should be something that's rhythmic and rhyming right i had a number one uh record called leave me lonely right uh, i'll just say the lyric and then you tell me where the rhyme is leave me lonely leave me alone i got somebody special waiting back home she saves her love for me i saved my love for her now there's some internal rhymes and, right. uh, and I mean, you've listened to a gazillion songs, the, the rhyme scheme and wind beneath my wings. I mean, it's not a roses or red violets or blue. It's really a sim- simple, very, it, that song is actually a limerick. Right. Poetically. And, uh, so I, uh, you know, some very basic stuff. The first thing I tell people is, Write about what you know, and don't don't go about trying to write a rhyme that makes sense in a story. And I've written songs with some really great great writers. Dave Loggins is one of them. He's had some monster hits. And we start, we'll start with the rhythm section with the guitar, or just the two of us playing a, a groove kind of thing. And we'll be going, la 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 la
and uh, maybe it it's a kind of a natural flow and then we develop a song we collectively we wrote making up for lost time right and we, he came to new york uh, when i was doing lava limb we sat down and wrote that song and we were thinking i was thinking both of us that we'd pitch it to uh, linda ronstadt and and do a duet with her but then warner brothers came in and said hey we really want a duet with crystal for this project called the dallas project so right. they heard it and we ended up doing it in nashville so i mean but songwriting it's not four verse poetry from my standpoint there certainly are a lot of songs that are but well you had mentioned that but that pop hot country sound the achy breaky heart thing uh, uh-huh. I, I understand the commercialism behind that but country music has always been as far as i'm concerned a unique way of storytelling to to listen to writers and 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 balladeers such as yourself and to to hear the mechanics that take place a lot of people may not know this when you left and i don't want to say you left country music but you left you you took off and you said i'm going to try my acting career you had just touched on um uh la boheme with Linda Rodstadt, uh-huh. you did Les Miserables. Many people probably don't know the work that you did, and I know that there are probably some some women and maybe some men out there that may remember uh, another world where not only did you uh, create a great song, Another World, you did that with Crystal Gale as well. It became the theme song for that soap opera in the 80s. You were on the Colbys. You were my favorite singer. Uh, wait, I'm going to remember here. Um, Wayne Masterson. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I was a blind singer who, through the magic of television in 13 weeks, got my vision back. Isn't that crazy? And then you get your house back and your dog back and your truck back and life is good. Right, but, right. And, and here we are speaking to Gary Moore again over 25 Records on the charts. I, I was speaking with Jeff Carson, and one of the his first single was a tune called "Yeah, Buddy," and it was one of those pop songs that you couldn't help. You want to get up, you want to get up and dance. And when we spoke about it, it never broke the top sixty. But it, you know, to use the phrase in radio, we burnt the hell out of that forty-five. It yeah. it played. The listeners loved it. So chart numbers to me, that was my early lesson in really understanding the charts that can be so totally manipulated, but yet oh. the listeners sit back and they go, I love that song. And it's funny, here we go, 40 years later, I imagine you have an entire audience that can sing word for word for word a Gary Morris song. Yeah, it's it's really cool. <clears throat> and I'll just make a slight correction. Okay. I never left country music. Country <laughs> radio left me. Is that, you know what, I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to hurt feelings. You are absolutely correct, sir. I don't know how many, 20-something top tens and five number ones in a row, and played the lead role for six months in the number one show on Broadway, and came back, cut a record, cut two records, cut three records, and released singles and not a single airplay on any country radio because suddenly I wasn't one of them. Now, however, if it had not been called Les Miserables, if I had done Will Rogers for six months, 
they could have couldn't have played enough of my stuff. I, I'm I'm not really pissed off about it. It's like I just went, well, I mean Okay. That's the way it is, and I've got other stuff to do. And I started a TV series called The North American Sportsman, where I it's love it. hunting and fishing. So I had people, you know, that at radio say, "Are you making this record for you, or is this for this mm. for us?" Right. And I, I just didn't understand that, and I don't blame them. Everybody, every music director, of course, now most all of it is controlled out of New York Cincinnati or New yeah. York, yeah. And playlists went to 10 people and structure of country music and country music. You, you made an interesting comment early on about what a song meant, and what, you know, the, the heart of it. Well, tell me what the heart of country music on top 40 country radio is today. I can't figure that out. Yeah, we're too old to, to figure that out. So it's one of those things, I totally agree with you, Gary. The country radio, for me, there's this 30-year thing for me where I, my humble beginnings with Outlaws and then going out with Hot Country, and, and there's a transition there. And like you said, and then when you'd listen to the Balladeers, I love, my wife is probably my best sounding board. And while we're driving across the country and we're listening to, you know, what I would listen to on a country radio station. And as time went on, she started catching on to what I was saying. There were few that could do it, Gary. And don't feel bad that country radio gave up on you because what it did is it opened a lot of doors elsewhere, which has turned oh. out very well for you. But what I listened to my wife as a sounding board, and one thing she told me was, oh, that's the Bakersfield sound, isn't it? Why, uh, yeah. yes. And, and, and she started to learn that terminology, and there were very few artists that could do that crossover. Um, and, and I refer here to Dwight Yoakam. He can still yeah, be, he, he could be pop, hot, people are dancing, but damn, that's country music. And yeah, that is the Bakersfield sound. So you still have those people that can kind of come in and say, I'm still here, I'm still relevant. But uh -huh. you touched on something I wanted to point out, and I've shared it with my listeners many times. Country music today is not country music from yesterday. But what I, I just need people to understand, and you pointed it out, there's one guy in New York City that's dictating what you're listening to. I was at a conference many years ago, and the guy looked at me and he said, you should listen to radio when it's all across the country and it sounds the same because that's what listeners want to hear. And no, you know, regional radio went away. You know, it's like when I say Chris Ledoux, people go, who? But if I go to yeah. Texas and I say Chris Ledoux, they go, oh my God, Chris Ledoux and, and, and Western yeah, Underground and... It's red dirt music in Texas is different. Well, look at uh, Pat Green. Yes. I was playing Aquafest in Austin and had 10,000 people up. And Pat Green was playing up at, at I think it's called Green's, and he had like 5,000. And I'm going, who in the hell is Pat is Green? Is Pat Green? 
Yeah, and that's, I drive through Texas. I've, I play there a lot. They call it Red Dirt Music. And I'm listening and I go, I don't know who that is. There's a whole new subset of, in Texas, trying to keep it real. Yes. I'll tell you one quick anecdote. I, uh, you know, I had a song out that I think this will play on, on this in Texas music. And I sent it to uh, two promoters down in Houston who I knew were big fans of mine. And they called me back and said, if you'll go back in the studio and you'll get one, put an out-of-tune guitar in it, and if you'll just miss a few notes a little bit, I think that we can get this played. And I went... <laughs> You know, I, I kind of witnessed that same thing here in uh, in Southern Colorado. Uh, I mean, going out and hearing some bands and the best players in town are are still out of tune, and and I, I'm spoiled in that in that Nashville circle of players and studio singers. They're dead on. Mm -hmm. They can play anything, and you go to the real world, and there's not hardly. And I'm, this is not a negative. It's just a reality. Right. The local band doesn't play. They're not in tune. Right. And the local band singer who everybody loves doesn't sing in tune. Or maybe they do. You know, I'm not. It's it's not a point. It's just a point of reference to say is not particularly good. Real right now. What what I don't like about country music can be summed up in a couple of words: automation. Sure. Uh, tuning and rhythm tracks. And, you know, we, we wouldn't even cut to a click right. whenever I, this is a tempo, let's play it. You right. know, it's, it's all programmed. Uh, well, there's, there is a handful of us out here that still appreciate, uh, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and I want people to understand, and I, I imagine you feel the same way. My taste in music is so eclectic and I kind of don't like opera. But I can appreciate opera. I don't like rap. I can appreciate rap. There's an artistry in everything. I mean, whether you walk outside your door and look at pretty scenery when you wake up in the morning, or you look at a piece of art in a museum, you have to appreciate everything that's being out there. But I'm like you. I, to me, if you sing, I'd rather watch a live uh, country band at a local honky-tonk than the polished sound. I was amazed to find it. People may not know this. Half the music you hear in a live concert is pre-recorded anyway, and it's being played by a guy in the back. And then the band on stage is actually playing with that soundtrack. And yeah. people don't see that anymore. That, that's gone. Uh, you know, and I agree with you. <clears throat> if you'll take some rap songs, I, I was actually in, in New York with Francis Preston from BMI mm -hmm. in the early... I guess it was the early 90s, and they were trying to figure out how they were going to license or license rap because there was not, not a melody, you know, right. and a real licensing problem. If you really break down rap, really, rap has got some amazing lyrical work. And poetry. There's a lot of great stories told in it, and, uh, and I'm not partial to listening to rap, but... Every now and then I'll hear something and I go, you know, they, those guys rhyme and they do it in a rhythmic fashion. So I really can appreciate what it is. It's, story as, it's storytelling. Yeah, it is storytelling. And I have only been 
and seen two operas in my life, and I was in both of them. Right. <laughs> so I'm not an opera fan, but you take uh, Les Mis. It's technically an opera, but you don't think of opera as being acted. You think of an op- opera as a big tenor comes out and sings his aria, and then uh, the soprano comes out and sings her aria. Right. And uh, b- uh, both of the things that I did were stage productions that were really pretty pretty outstanding. Um and that's one thing about New York. If you're if you're on the stage in New York, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about everyone that worked on the stage, whether from the carpenter to the electrician to the sound engineer to to the clothing girls and guys to every one of them at the top of their game. <laughs> they can go anywhere and do it. You know, you don't find that touring. You don't find that touring unless you're carrying an all-enclosed, all-encompassing group that takes care of everything. You, There's uh, screw-ups pretty much everywhere that you have to deal with. That's just life on the road. You had mentioned the professionalism behind the scenes, and, and uh, we were just talking the, the other day, watching uh, movies in a theater. Uh, I'm one of those guys that wants to leave early before the crowds try to get out of the parking lot, while she, on the <laughs> other hand... Um, she loves, to, she will not leave the movie theater until the last credit rolls. Okay. And she's one of those that said, listen, they had a part in this. I want to give them their just due. I like the movie. So okay. <laughs> it was like, there are people like that in the world that just say, yeah, give me all of it and let me give and pay recognition to those that made it work. And I really appreciate that. And I have to tell you this short story, the song called Lasso the Moon. Yes. It was Steve Dorff from LA, LA wrote it. And uh, they pitched it to me and I went, really, really, I, I, you want me to sing and I'll lasso you the moon? Oh, it's going to be in this giant movie. Now, I'm telling you the story for your wife. <laughs> it's going to be a giant movie. It's going to be whistled and played all through, and then you'll do the end title song. Ah, I see where you're going. Big single. Not on an album. But played it. I don't know where it died. Maybe it went to top five or whatever. So I went to the premiere of the movie. So I'm sitting, and yes, they do whistle it. The orchestra plays it. It's time for the credits to run. And it's Rex Allen Jr. and the last of the Silver Screen Cowboys. Uh. So I'm sitting there like your wife, and the theater is emptying. And just as the Spanish gaffers come up, and I'm the only one in the theater, (laughs) they start playing So the Moon. So... Uh, and Rustler's Rhapsody, I think, opened and closed in one week. So I kind of refused to play that song on the road for a while. Uh, I was just, it, it was just like, and you know this, you have X number of weeks life in a song on the charts. Yep. And I had no albums. I, I, so it took up my lifetime uh, uh, during that time. So if your wife had gone to see Rustler's Rhapsody, <laughs> There's a good chance she did not, but she had. She could have known as Spanish gaffers came up that that was me singing. <laughs> it's all learning. It's all a learning curve. I, you know? 
Oh, that's funny. And you know what? Has she seen the movie? She'd probably tell you, oh, yeah, when the Spanish gaffers came up, that was uh, your buddy Gary Morris. You just, you love being on the road, don't you? I love the interaction with, with, with an audience. And I, I feel like there was a calling. I'm supposed to do something more than just, you know, go be a, a school teacher or a football coach or an investment banker. I was supposed to do something that, is bigger than that. And, you know, I was given this voice. I, I've never had any music lessons. People don't really realize that. They, they think I'm a trained singer, and I'm not. I learned to sing in a church. I bought my first guitar chord book when I was in the eighth grade, bought a guitar, and I taught myself how to play guitar. And it's my gift back. There you go. And I'm 72. I'll be 73 in December. God bless you. And, <laughs> thank you. And and I can still sing. So, you know, a lot, a lot of guys, by the time they're, uh, this age, they're, you know, they, their pipes are gone. And so I'm certainly willing to go out there and do it. Well, the, and it's interesting. You say that you can see some of the artists that should just simply retire. You're done, Yeah. you know, go out on the, on the top. Don't go out on the bottom. And yeah. I I caught one of your videos, and you are still as strong as the, as the day I first heard you, and 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 that's kind of kind of segue here as you go out in, and you've explored many genres of music and the, the way that you've written your music and the way you sing your music. Recently, uh, you teamed up with two of my favorites, uh, Bailey and the Boy, and then notice that you did Sense of Pride, which is one of those, uh, for those that don't know, he, he's brought it up through this interview many times. He was born in the Bible Belt, and he certainly was born in the church, and he sung in the church, which gave him his foundation of where you are. But for you two to, for, I'm sorry, you three to team up together, for those that don't know, Michael and, and, and Kathy, I, I would say what, they popped into the industry in the, like the mid to late 80s and then uh, through the early 90s. But you collaborated with them with the um, Texan by the grace of God. Share that with me. Uh, you know, uh uh, Pam Lewis, who's my publicist, was the one I was saying, you know, I need to find somebody that I can go in and do a record with that will understand where I come from. I, mean, I don't want to make a, a phony record. You know, I'm at this point, I've got these songs. And, and she said, Michael Bonagura, mm-hmm. at least go check it out. And I went over and sat down with him, took an acoustic guitar, and he picked up one and went like, oh, yeah. I had known Michael and Kathy before they got their deal right they they used to play at a little bar right across from a building where i had my publishing company and uh, and i'd go in there and sit in the back and then we talked about them and then they of course got their record deal <clears throat> michael and i just started cutting some tracks and i was singing live on it and then of course kathy i got to sing too his studio is in his house so because of hanging out with them i mean not only as an engineer but as a player and as kathy as a, another voice and then of course i met uh, Alyssa, who is a little child prodigy is a as a grown woman now who's just unbelievable mm. they suffered a lot because of the industry what it was at the time and who pulled strings and what didn't happen and and you know we go into that Chris, we go into that. Those of us who do this 
because for the love of music, really, we really love what we do. We go into it blind and you'd maybe take the advice of someone you call a manager or an agent and they only make money if, if the cash register rings right. and then the register only makes money. They become, I mean, the record label. And this will piss a lot of people off, but the truth is they become building stupid. They don't go out. They don't know what the world is. They don't know what they're, they're doing in Oklahoma or Texas or right. Wyoming or California or Oregon or Idaho or New York City. They don't know what the people – they sit in an office and say, well, that sounds like we should get that play. That should be a hit. Right. And uh, so – you know, I came up with that talk it, that it's they're building stupid, nothing to do with their intelligence, it just their scope of what people really want to hear is in uh, bricks and mortar. They're where they work. Well, I, it, you know, what, if I can add to that and this yeah. will piss people off, they're not picking the songs that they think people want to hear and listen to. They're now influenced by the pay for play and nobody Nobody likes to touch on that, that the the New York exec, that building stupid that you're talking about, uh-huh. would fight to his living death to make sure you added a record into your rotation, not yeah. because he thought it was a great song, not because he thought it was going to hit the top of the charts. He did it because he has cash in his pocket, and his job is now to promote that and get that on the air, whether it's a good song or not. And then there were people like us, you myself, uh, a few others across the country that said, you know what? I'd, I brought it up early. I'd rather play Chris Ledoux here. We have a rodeo coming up. Chris has got a single coming out. We're yeah. going to play this one. Oh, no, 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 no. I need that spot. You need to play this. And yeah. I think, I think I, you, you hit the nail on the head, Gary. It's, just, it's that building stupid. Yeah. Well, I, got, I, I had an opportunity to manage a kid produces produce a record a guy named matt king who came out he came to me and through my publishing company and said he wanted me to manage him and i said if i can get you a record deal i will and i got him a record deal he came over rick blackman came over to my office and listened to him and said man i want i want you on atlantic records and we worked out a deal so i'm an artist manager and i go in and work the phones and i'd get people at radio say We'll we'll play Matt's record if you Gary will come do our appreciation day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a yeah. hand in hand thing. Yeah, the worst one. So I'm not going to tell you the station or the persons. I got this the promotion guy come in and said, "Hey, we can get an ad at this big station." Blah blah blah. It's a set of uh, tires for a suburban. Oh, uh, yeah. It's... And I went, uh, yeah. okay. So he comes back. He says, sorry, we lost out. RCA sending the guy to Hawaii to see somebody and he and his wife. So we, we didn't get that ad. And I'm going, oh, man, now I've seen it from both sides. Yeah. And- yeah. And it's I have seen some of the the worst of the worst. And not to say that I turned a blind eye to it. There was just there are some really good, wholesome people still left in the world. And yeah. they're and they're just trying to reach out to make something happen, and they just don't have all those little gifts in their in their left pocket to give away to climb their way to the top. It, with that old phrase, it's not it's it's not who you know, it's how well you know them. And it's just one of those things where you 
just have to sit back and wonder, how did that ever happen? When I left country music, when I, I didn't fit the format, I said, fine. And I started a um, TV series called The North American Sportsman, where I went out and I you, took Troy Aikman. I took, in fact, I just, Dan Fouts would be San Diego country, uh, Wilford Brimley. I sure. took, took all kinds of celebrities all over the world. We hunted and fished. Africa, South America. And it was a number one series on TNN in the outdoor sports block when I, I said I've done enough of this. But I tell you that because I am going to have, starting in December, a Roku channel. Oh. Television. And where I'm revisiting the, the North American Sportsman series, which I had five years worth of shows and doing and like capturing like Troy Aikman was a guy, Michael Shahan, both, you know, football sure. players in Denver sport. And so I took them both on their first hunts in their life and actors. And I'm revisiting them. In fact, I'll be leaving here shortly and going to the studio. I'm doing wraparounds for it. And then there's a, an animated kids movie called, uh, nine dog Christmas I produced and it's going up on and it's a it's a really wonderful story but it's it's a kids a kids program uh, it'll be up on the Roku channel and last but not least my son uh, Matthew was a Mouseketeer with Justin Timberlake oh is that right he is the best singer I have ever heard ever we did a Christmas album called My Son, Your Christmas, and it's just three people. Carl Hergesell, who plays keyboards, Matt, my son, and, and me. That's all on the entire record. The complete from first note to last note and all vocals. We're doing the Christmas tour. It's the first time this year. We're playing uh, like the 23rd of November. It's a pre-Christmas show, even pre-Thanksgiving, but I'll have Carl and Matt out with me. And if you if you've never listened to uh, the My Son Your Christmas project, just listen to the opening song or download it. It's really a wonderful record. It's all done with no rehearsal. It's all done with no run through. It's all done. Three guys in the studio listening to each other, looking at song titles and me picking a key and starting to play. Uh. And we did the record in three days start to finish it was a, it was a meant to be project obviously yeah and it's just so i had two christmas records but this one is just um it's a piece of art it, maybe you have to be a musician to appreciate because it's 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 so special and i'm so thrilled that these both of these people my son who had a career went out was signed to timberlake's record and then got a dose of what it was like to go on the road. And he told me at the end of the year, I said, dad, I, I, I worked all year long and, and I don't have any money. And I went, <laughs> well, welcome to the music. <laughs> I've been trying to explain that to you for the first 20 years of your life. If you love what you do, you'll, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but I hope you'll check out the Roku channel. It, it's just, it's called Morris world. And it'll have a lot of stuff, videos. And oh, I can't wait! I will. I will take a peek at that. And and like I said, if you, the '90s country people don't realize how everything kind of meshed together between television 
and radio. I mean, back then TNN was still playing music and CMT was still playing music. Now I think they're playing, they're playing movies. And then now your, your show, uh, that was on the Nashville network, wasn't it? The North American sportsman. It was. Yeah. So, so in the nineties we had those, those things to do. What's on TV tonight. You know, you, you talk radio and, and you're just like, Oh, here, here's playing here. And tonight on, and then you'd yeah. be able to talk about what was happening on the Nashville network. So, but back then we had so many things that were country related, which were a lot of fun. I have the joy, and I don't know if listeners know this, we had a production company here in San Diego, Stu Siegel, and he worked with Canal and we did. So, so I, had, I had my fair share of the Renegade show, which you would talk about, uh, and then country related was um, Walker, Texas Ranger. And now... You appeared of all things. I would have expected you to show up like on Walker, Texas Ranger. You had Michael Peterson, and and I believe I saw was it Tracy Lawrence did an entire episode. Yeah, probably Tracy. Yeah. yeah, but I was I kept expecting to see you, and you know, here we go again with wife stories. In case people don't know, well, the gentleman I'm talking to now is actually uh, Julius Surgeon on Designing Women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was not yeah, where I was I expecting to find you. I was expecting you on Walker, Texas Ranger, some fight scene in a bar, jumping on a horse and riding off into the sunset. And I get Designing Women's Julius Surgeon. So it was kind of fun to watch that happen in the 90s. So, well, you know, I got the call. That was Dixie Carter's call. Yeah? I didn't, I wasn't, I got out of the blue, uh, the writer slash producer called and said, Dixie wants you to do this, the last show of the season, the cliffhanger. I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> wants you to be her, her, her surgeon. She's going to get a hysterectomy and, uh, you know, then, then y'all are going to have a, uh, you know, Hal Holbrook was her yes. husband and there at the taping. I was like, Oh, uh, I've never really had to kiss somebody in a, uh, on camera. It's <laughs> Dixie Carter. And her husband's over there, Hal Holbrook, and I'm. This is going to be a little strange for me, but yeah, it it was interesting. Please was tell me, funny. please tell me, you didn't have to really struggle doing a kissing scene. No, it was, <laughs> I I just call some people and ask them about how to how to kiss them pro- appropriately on camera. Gotcha. And, uh, well, I have to tell you, I, I still remember. I'm trying to remember the station I was at, and and that was. N- 91, 92, 93, somewhere in there when yeah. you did that show. And I still remember talking about you going to be on television tonight. That was the, the way that we were going to talk about what was happening in country music. And we still kept you in the loop. And please know, Gary, that uh, every single, uh, the radio station uh, that I've put together, although internet-based, has all your songs. Even the ones that only peaked in forties and in the fifties, it was music people still love and they love to hear it. And I can't tell you how many emails I get from listeners that will say, "I haven't heard that song in so long." And then the then there's usually a comma, and I knew every word exclamation point. And I yeah. I get that a lot, and and I get it a lot when I'm driving down the road. I'll hear a song and I'll go. Oh, I forgot I had that in the library. But people still remember. And whether Wind Beneath My Wings hit number one, although it should have, it, and where I was going to go with a quick story, Michael Peterson's uh, Drink 
Swear, Steal, and Lie was a really fun tongue-in-cheek song, but never made number one. It sat at number two, and it was his most popular song. It sold millions of records. Everybody's happy. It never made number one. And I always am inquisitive as to why didn't it make number one. And his, well, his story was amazing. He just simply said, one music director, program director in one radio station would not add it because it, he had a policy, it can't have cuss words in it. And his cuss word was the word hell. He didn't use it as a flyby. It actually fit the way the song was going. And it was one of those, if you do this, there is hell to pay kind of a thing. And it's so weird how that song can never make number one. But just so you know, Gary, it's number one in my book. There are only two stations in the country, IVK in uh, Houston and uh, Seattle, KMPS. Those are the only two stations. And those are the only two stations that I can probably pronounce the correct (laughs) station name. Because they wouldn't play wind and they didn't play wind because they said it wasn't country. Uh, I wonder what they would think now if those music directors are around with what is country today. Oh, I know. But, no, that's but, amazing. Yeah. Only two. And and you know how it goes. They have to all go number 1 the same week for it to move in. Correct. You know, that's okay. You know, it's I, number I, 1 for me. <laughs> and and probably a couple of million people around the around the U.S. People uh, sending emails or texts. Hey, when when was my favorite song? It's I, I could tell you hours of stories, and someday we'll sit down and have a have a cup of coffee or please a beer, do yeah. And I can tell you all the personal stories about a song like that. Well, I, I for those that don't know, and and I know we've I've taken up so much of your time, and I am so grateful that you're you're sharing your day with me. What you're doing for our military, you and I have a, a common bond. So again, my appreciation is both as a fan and as a colleague. And then I'd like to talk to you about your vision for the future. If Gary Morris could complete one more thing, what would it be? Uh, well, I, it's pretty obvious. I, I want to go into space. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I was going to say, well, William Shatner can do it. You can do it. I, I know. You know, well, if I was 90 and had one breath left, I probably would say, yeah, I'll get in it. You know, I have a little place here in Colorado with a mile of river, and I'll be taking a guy fly fishing up on the Taylor River and filming it a couple of weeks. I still have that outdoor craving to get more of it. I'll be in rivers. I'll be my with my son, Matt. We'll be doing a mule deer hunt in Texas. Mm during the Christmas tour on some off days. There, there, I don't know that there'll be anything particularly new, but every day to me that I, I'm up and uh, I have my coffee and... <laughs> there you go. It's an, it's an adventure, whether it's going down to my own river or, you know, getting in my truck and going up in the hills. It's, a, it's an adventure. I hope to be able to be healthy enough to till my last breath to have an adventure every day and it will include wildlife it will include our military which i I'll, i do a, a charity concert for every year we bring we bring uh wounded uh, warriors yeah. we're not part of it we have our own uh charity and we bring them up to colorado uh for fly fishing events and, and feed them and put them up and put them in boats with guides and let them 
get in water and um it's we've been doing that for at least 10 years i know you so i assume since you say you're filming we'll see that in your roku show he sure will. Good. Okay. I, I, I look forward to that. And for those people that, you know, they say their country and they've never left the city of Los Angeles yet, you what you need to do is you need to go see the Wyoming skies. You need to see the flats of Montana. I, w- I was blessed, and I truly use this word blessed, for a short time. I don't even know if the radio station's still there. It was K-Star AM and FM. In Grand Junction, Colorado. And I ended up doing country AM radio and lived in Grand Junction, the Western Slope, which was just stunning. But head directly south from Grand Junction, you get into the, the San Juans. And in the what I we used to rent a house before I even moved to Grand Junction was in Ure, Colorado. And then south of Ure, Silverton and Durango area, which you said you're from, you're living right now in the Colorado Southwest, which is just beautiful I'm, I'm, God's country. Yeah. It's the Ghost Springs is the closest town. It, it, so you're out, you're out in the middle of God's country. And I, I tell you what, one of this is this is one of those total surprises for you. So I'm going to say it's probably nineteen. 1984, 1985. I go to, I want to say it's Silverton. Yeah, so I go, we go into Silverton, uh, took the million dollar highway, did all the things we were supposed to do, Copper Mountain and such. But I have to tell you, I went in for a, what ended up being, I thought it was this narration video show at City Hall in Silverton. And it cost me two or three bucks to go in. The family went in, we sat down. And what it really was, was, what do, you, what do you call it, like a chamber of commerce thing. They're trying to sell you on, you know, jeeping and hunting and fishing and everything that goes on in that area. And it was narrated by the mayor of Silverton. <laughs> and the mayor was C.W. McCall. Oh, wow. So I, I was the most amazing. Can you imagine listening to a presentation from probably one of the best homespun, off-key, off-note, singer-songwriter men no. in the world telling you the story of Silverton in the, in, in the Colorado Southwest. Folks, you need to go to the Southwest of Colorado. You need to see Silverton and Durango. And, uh, I mean, that to me is a memory I will never forget. Well, something you probably don't know that I didn't know is, you know, the Grammys, the actual Grammys that are presented, they're... Sure. they're, they're made in your ray oh we vacationed every year i could probably pop it up on a google map caddy corner to the to the ura school literally caddy corner this is the house we would rent every year in in well the reason i'm in colorado now and where i am is we vacationed in lake city ah down through silverton and ura and durango and then ultimately you know, after after doing a stint on the road, I said, I'm going back. And I'm actually, it's 31 miles from my house to Pagosa Springs. Oh. So that removed I am from everything. Well, you know what? You're in, you're in a beautiful part of the country, and no wonder you're inspired to write and to sing 
what you probably wake up to every morning. There, uh, many years ago, somebody was complaining about all the visitors that come to San Diego and down to the convention center and how the traffic is just horrible and, and they can't stand it and you can't get down to restaurant row, you can't do anything you're doing. And I remember one guy looking over at somebody who was complaining about the traffic and the problems and they said, you know, when you went to work this morning down the five and you looked over at the ocean in La Jolla... There are those people that are trying to cross the crosswalks here. They're here on a convention that have a picture of that on their refrigerator, and they look at it every day thinking one day they get to live there. Yeah. So you're there. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Again, thank you. I know, Gary, I have taken up so much of your time. We'll probably have to make this a two-parter. I want to take you up on your, your, um, your invitation for that cup of coffee or the beer. Either one. I would love to just sit and listen I, to you and talk to you. Find find a place for me to play out there. We got a date. I love it. I I am gonna knock on doors now. Let's get let's get Gary Morris out here. Hey Gary, tell me the podcast is still going. The website's still up and running. You're still doing shows. Gary Morris again as a as a fan as a colleague. This has been an honor and a pleasure and 40 years in the making. And thank you for everything you've done and thank you for everything that you're doing, especially with the military. God bless you and your family and enjoy life. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you. You got my number. You can use it. Thanks for listening. And be sure to visit hotcountrypodcast.com for information on sponsors and interview opportunities. The Hot Country Podcast. Available everywhere you download podcasts. And is aired on country radio across North America.